Welcome to the Find Your Place podcast. The primary location and home for this podcast is on my YouTube channel at Jeremiah Gibbs, but we're going to repost those videos here on the podcast. So if you hear any conversation about going to links that might be described in the podcast, then you can just jump over to the YouTube channel and participate and and find those links there. Uh, Welcome to the new show. Hi, my name is Jeremiah Gibbs, and welcome to Find Your Place. I interview dynamic professionals to learn how God is using them to further the kingdom and how their story can help you to find your place in God's mission as well. Today I'm interviewing Dr. Michaela Wadsworth. Michaela is an occupational therapist and one of the most deeply formed Christian young adults that I know. She uses her gift of hospitality and her deep love for people to be able to help families of children with disability to live healthy and dignified lives. If you want to find out how your love for people can change a person's life, then stay tuned to find out how you can find your place. If stories like this are helpful, take a moment to subscribe to this channel and check the description for links for more stories like it. Let's hear her story. Well, I am uh, here with uh, a good friend of mine, a former student who uh, is is off uh, in the work world, making us all very proud now. And um, I want to introduce you you uh, to Dr. Michaela Wadsworth and uh, uh, welcome her. As uh, some folks that are beginning to watch these episodes will know a lot of what we're uh, doing in this uh, sort of Uh, environment is to be able to help uh, folks be able to think about their own calling by exploring the calling of someone else, by hearing the ways that God has been moving in your life. Uh, Our hope is that people would get a sense of how God may move uh, in their life too. So um, if you would, Michaela, just uh, start by telling us a little bit about uh, the work that you do and sort of what your your day-to-day looks like. Yeah, so I'm an occupational therapist and I work in early intervention, which means I work with kids under the age of three Mm. and I go into homes. So I go into homes every week for an hour with kids with developmental disabilities of all kinds. Uh, So I work on teaching them to eat, teaching them to play, teaching them how to tolerate taking baths and brushing teeth and just Mm. all of the really important day-to-day things that most people don't even think about. Uh, but that these parents and caregivers have a really hard time with sometimes with these kids. Very cool. Very cool. So uh, that's that's your day-to-day sort of work life. Are there other things that um, sort of make life meaningful for you? What are some of the things that you just uh, enjoy doing or maybe uh, just passions that are outside of your work? Outside of work, I love hiking with my husband and my dog. We love hosting people for dinners. We love Mm. working with the youth group at our church. Um, And we typically travel every chance we get, but that's been a little different with COVID. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) All of us that are travel bugs have been uh, held off from being able to do what we really love to do, haven't we? So very good. Well, what are the things that... um, uh, particularly with your work uh, with folks with developmental disabilities, kiddos with developmental disabilities, what are the things about that that you really love? What are the things that make that important for you? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, gosh, 
there are things we do every day, right? Uh, and it can be really hard, especially with my kids with G-tubes or that refuse to eat. You know, you do that at least three times a day. And how hard is it for the parent to watch your kid not eat, not gain weight, not play, just kind of like not do all the other things that typical kids do. Um, so I absolutely love coming alongside parents in the really hard things. And that's why I love being in the home because I can come in to a messy home that a kid is screaming and we can be like, okay, what are we gonna do? How do we help this kid just thrive? And how do I help you as a parent thrive to make everyone's lives easier? Uh, and I think in the home, you see a lot that you wouldn't see in a clinic um, yeah. and can have some insight sometimes too on how the parent was parented. Um, yeah. And yeah, you don't really know how to help a kid take a bath when you don't know what their bath looks like or what mm. brushing your teeth looks like. And it's different in every home. It's different with every culture. Uh, I've worked with kids to use utensils before. And then the parent will be like, well, in our culture, in our country, they don't use utensils and so therefore. It's like, well, mm. then why are we working on this? <laughs> Keep using your hands, that's fine. Yeah. Keep letting your mom feed you, that's fine. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's, it's really unique. I love getting to work with a wide variety of people. I work in really nice homes in the suburbs. I work in not so nice houses and apartments. I did bring bed bugs home one time. That, mm. wasn't, that wasn't great, but, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. but you know what? It was a super sweet family. They felt really yeah. bad about it. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Yeah. There's not, sometimes there's not much they can do about that. So, yeah. you know, when it did, have you worked in a clinic before then you kind of compared the way that we going into homes with clinics, what's been. The, yeah. The so I did as a student, I was in clinics mostly, and I actually didn't think that I liked working with kids mm -hmm. <laughs> in the clinics. Yeah. That was not something I was actually really disappointed after I did that rotation because I was like, I don't think this is what I want to do, but it, I mean, they brought the child to you. You spent an hour with them. You brought yeah. them back to the parent. Um, and I realized that my niche is really working with the parents and working with yeah. the families because that's where I see the most progress. Yeah. There's a couple of things that I hear in that, Michaela. One is that the importance, particularly of people who are discerning, when you don't when something doesn't feel right it's really important to ask about why it doesn't feel right mm -hmm. so for you it wasn't that occupational therapy wasn't right it was that something about that particular environment was not feeding the thing that made that important to you um, right. so it would have been easy in that moment especially as a student uh to go this isn't for me right yeah, like why, why am i, am I doing this money? <laughs> yeah. And effort and all of that. Yeah. So that's a really important insight. Like sometimes when you don't like something, you've got to figure out why is it that I do? Same is true. Of course, when you, when something is really interesting and you love it, you've got to say, what is it about this thing that, that works? So for you, it was about the families. It sounds like the, the, um, the interaction with them. What about that is, is, uh, meaningful. I mean, so much is meaningful because I actually yeah. understand when they say my child does this, I need help. Sometimes when a parent comes to you and says that, you're like, 
well, that doesn't seem like an issue. Mm. Or, well, I gave you all these things to work on. Why isn't this working? And yeah. then it, my job is like just today, there was a child who absolutely refuses to brush his teeth. So I came in, I said, show me what you do. What does this look like right now? And yeah. then I could give my input of, well, let's try this or let's try this, let's try this. Yeah. And I think that's another thing that I love is there's no one right answer for a lot of things. Yeah. And um, I also realize that parents get really discouraged. Yeah. All parents do, not just parents yeah. <laughs> right. of kids with developmental disabilities and yeah. feeling like they're not doing the right thing or someone says to do this, someone else says to do this. I don't know what is right. And yeah. um, I think it's really important to give parents confidence because mm -hmm. if they're confident in their parenting yeah. skills, they will love that child so much better and will have so much capacity yeah. Yeah. to help them grow. Yeah. Well, and you know, one of the things that we, that all of us as parents, we try to parent and we are always wondering whether we're messing it up. Like, am I <laughs> messing my kid up? Am I doing something that's going to be, you know, they're going to be going to therapy for some someday. Mm -hmm. um, and probably the answer is yes. Right. But, but, uh, the confidence to parent at all is difficult. You can only imagine, or I can only imagine how that gets elevated when somebody has a kid that they know has disabilities, has special needs, and they don't, they are not OTs. They don't know what, how to meet those mm -hmm. needs sometimes. And so very cool. So what is it about your job that you think this is the reason that I'm good at what I do? What are, what do you bring that you think is particularly a gift to your clients or to um, their families or so on? Well, I would say one thing is I am very flexible and try to be very non-judgmental. Um, so, mm -hmm. There are a lot of families that are scared to let people in their home, scared mm. to say, like, this is what our life really looks like, and this is how I really parent, and I'm just done. And I feel like, and it's taken me a while to get here, but I feel like I do have the ability to just sit with parents and all of that and say, it's okay, mm -hmm. you want better, so let's figure it out, mm -hmm. and not... Um, have the parents feel any shame about whatever their current situation is, especially with the single moms. Yeah. Yeah. I can, especially, I can imagine that uh, there's a lot of vulnerability for the parents uh, in what you're doing. Yeah. So when did you notice that you were good at that? Like when, what was that something that you realized on the job or was that something that goes back long before this job? say it goes back um, because we did we did mission trips every year growing up and that was something that I always uh, felt like was easier for me than it was for some other people is just to say like all right this is where you're at cool let me come beside mm -hmm. you yeah um, I'm not scared that you smell bad I'm not scared yeah. uh, that there's a chicken pooping in your living room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's yep. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, um, and it goes back to 
my very first mission trip when um, Katrina hit, we did a lot of cleanup and mm. there were a lot of disgusting things and there were a lot of people that were kind of ashamed with what they were living in. Um, but they're image bearers. Mm-hmm. So it's our job um, as Christ followers to respect the image of God in all people. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I think as, as you're talking, I'm remembering too, and I don't know, I think I probably told you this years ago, but maybe I didn't. Um, when you were a student, when you were an undergraduate at UND, uh, we could often tell from our attendance numbers um, what weeks Michaela was there <laughs> because you would bring so many people with you when you would come to worship. Um, so, you know, and for those listening, worship at that time would have been maybe a hundred people or so um, in a, in a given worship service, but you were bringing like six or eight or 10 friends sometimes <laughs> with you. And I could say, Oh, well, Michaela wasn't there. The numbers were down that week. But I think, I think that, you know, the fact that you were so able to extend a welcome to people, they felt comfortable engaging with you about things, you know, so many students did feel judged about their faith or felt judged, you know, there were so many reasons that they might not want to come and be a part of a, a room full of people like that, but you've got such a hospitable presence that I think is a great gift to whoever you're serving, whether that's youth group or whether that's, uh, you know, the church that we were uh, part of here on campus or, or these clients. That's a pretty awesome gift that you have. And I think one of the things that I love to talk about with people with regard to calling is that when you have a strength like that, when you have this tool that God has given you, it isn't just going to come out in one area of your life, Mm -hmm. right? It's going to come out on mission trips. It's going to come out um, when you're inviting people to come. And it's going to come out in your work when you're in people's homes that they're going to say, like, this person actually enjoys me and likes me and I want to be with her. Um, So that's a pretty tremendous gift that you have to be able to offer to people. If you're trying to figure out where God is calling you to serve, then I hope you will check out my book, Find Your Place in God's Mission. It's a step-by-step guide for hearing and claiming God's calling on your life. It's incredibly practical. It's filled with stories like you hear on this show. So check the links in the description for a link to purchase the book. You can also win a copy of the book for free. All you have to do is subscribe to this channel and leave a comment on this video. Tell me what you're passionate about in the comments. That will be your entry. Even if you're watching this video long after we've released it, I give away a a free copy of the book every week to somebody who's commented during that week. So make sure that you subscribe, leave a comment about your passion, and you could win a free copy. Enter as often as you like just by putting a new comment on one of the Find Your Place videos. Click the link in the description to check out the book. Um, what would you say makes it hard to do your job? What are the parts that if I, if you could get rid of it, you'd get rid of it? <laughs> Scheduling. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> I make my own schedule, which I love the flexibility. I love it because yeah. it helps me prioritize things outside of work really well. Um, yeah. But gosh, that that's the first thing that comes to mind. Um the second thing that comes to mind is sometimes it's really hard to engage parents 
Sometimes they just want someone to come in and fix their child in one hour a week. And, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of times that's because the parents really just don't have the capacity to yeah. do it all. Yeah. Uh, but sometimes that is really hard to say like, your child isn't making progress because like you're not carrying through throughout the week, uh, all the things yeah. that we're talking about. Um, and it's sometimes hard to be delicate with that and yeah. not give up on parents who have given up. Yeah. That you're not a mechanic, right? Yeah. You're not like a, a car. You're not going in and changing a carburetor on a car. There's no carburetors on cars anymore, but you're not changing a part on a car. You're trying to help kids learn how to cope or you're, you're right. So there, there's no magic button with this. There's no easy button. Yeah. <laughs> How do you deal with that then? I mean, if you, if you, when that becomes hard, when those, when folks are not uh, falling through and have expectations of you, how do you sort of manage the, the challenging parts of that? Well, one is just being sensitive to what's going on in the family situation. Sometimes I realize when that's happening that we just have to have a sit down and say, how are you? What's going on in your life right now? what's hard, how can I come alongside you? Mm-hmm. And I notice that once parents feel heard, uh, that they're more willing to participate and more willing to tell me, actually what you're asking of me feels like a lot right now. I know that you said, I just have to sit with my child for one meal a day, but one meal a day is really hard. Mm-hmm. And so then I have to adjust my expectations and say, okay, how can I make this easier for you? How can I adjust my expectations for you? And you can adjust your expectations for yourself because you have all of these expectations that you're not meeting because you are trying to work so hard for so many different things. So how can we lower to attainable goals and keep mm. building from there? And yeah, if they're meeting the little goals, they're more confident and more confident and more confident to mm-hmm. keep going. Yeah. Yeah. So what were, if you think back to sort of, I assume that a significant part of your preparation is you had clinicals and you had uh, study, you know, you had classes and so on that were helping you think about and how to learn how to do this job well. But can you look back and say, these life experiences that I had were really important to why I'm able to do what I do well? Do you remember things? Are there parts that, that you learned, things that you learned that had nothing to do with school? Yeah. Honestly, I think some of those experiences were more helpful than school because they gave me empathy. Mm. Uh, So I really first decided I wanted to do this because I needed for a girl with Down syndrome. Mm. And I was there when her first steps therapists were there and got to see the change that they made in her life and her family's life. Uh, But I know what it's like to be with a toddler with disabilities Mm-hmm. For an extended period of time. Yeah. And it's different than being with them for one hour. <laughs> yeah. And then I also yeah. was a camp counselor at mm-hmm. a camp um, for both kids and adults with special needs. We had the whole variety. We had day camps. We had overnight camps. And when you are showering, you know, a 40-year-old woman with cerebral palsy, 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm small. <laughs> she was a lot bigger than me. Uh, and it, it took a lot of humility to realize, mm-hmm. oh, this has been your whole life. This mm-hmm. has been your parents' whole life. Your parents don't get around well anymore. Yeah. What, how, like, how have your parents been able to still live their life to the fullest and take the light in you? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, did you, when did you, did you know, sounds like the first experience was when you were, um, watching, are you, you were babysitter for, is that what you said for Mm -hmm. the, this, uh, other child? Did you know then that that's what you wanted to do, that you wanted to serve persons with disabilities or when did that sort of come about? Yeah, it started coming about then. And it's kind of funny. So my mom's a speech therapist and okay. does like works with a simul- similar population. And she kept telling me, I think you're going to be an OT. I was like, no, that's too similar <laughs> to what you do. And this is terrible that I said this, but I was thinking like, I'm too smart for that. I need something mm. more intellectually challenging. Yeah. Like, I need to do something that really challenges my brain more. Yeah. And I explored a variety of options for sure, but when I when it got down to the shadowing and when it got down to me thinking about what kind of lifestyle do I want to have, uh, that's when I realized, yeah, I want to work with people and this yeah. still, you know, can be intellectually challenging at times, um, yeah. just not in the ways that like the math and some of the science mm-hmm. that I was good at. But yeah. Uh, yeah, that's, that's really when I figured it out. Yeah. So what, how do you, how do you sort of figure out this, the intellectual challenge piece? Like if that's something that's a part of who you are, is there some other place in your life where you work that out? How does that, how is that a part of your life? Uh, otherwise, (laughs) well, I do a lot of reading otherwise, Mm. but I've really figured it's all in the continuing education because OT school, OT is very general. Mm -hmm. So we learn a lot of the general basic things um, to be a good OT, but the neurology of a child's brain is just fascinating. Mm, And so in the continuing education, figuring out more about the reflexes, more about the pruning, more about um, how to make all of these different connections, learning about vision, learning mm-hmm. about swallowing, all of these things that are in the scope of OT, but that we didn't get a chance to dive deep into because we didn't yeah. have time in grad school. Yeah. So I'm taking it upon myself now to do a lot of that education mm-hmm. on my own time. Yeah. So things like the brain research and so on mm-hmm. sort of stimulate, because they're there we're talking about a, a, a body of literature that is endless, right? And yeah. <laughs> and advancing all the time and so on. So for that piece of it is what helps then you say, okay, this intellectual piece of me, this this dynamic of who I am mm-hmm. gets to play out in this aspect of my work, which every OT probably does some of that, right? Mm-hmm. But not every OT is going to be spending their weekends reading this literature or something, right? <laughs> so So that dynamic of you then empowers you to do a, a level of work that maybe other uh, folks who are in your position wouldn't. And I can only imagine that one's particularly cumulative, right? So mm-hmm. by the time you reach 45 or 50, how will your practice be different because of that dynamic of who you are, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's very cool. 
So, um, why is the work that you do important? Why should other people want to do what you do? <laughs> well, it's important because I'm working with kids who get written off a lot of times and are not always considered meaningful members of society. Mm. But they are meaningful parts of their family and they end up becoming good friends. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them do end up being like parts, like contributing to society. Yeah. And especially with some of my kids that are behavioral, because I do work mm -hmm. with a lot of behavior things. Sometimes I go and see them and hear them talking about family members in jail and mm. family members who are addicted to drugs and have like made all these choices. And when I'm working with this kid under the age of three, I want to do as much as I can to set them up for success in the long run and to mm -hmm. do as much as I can to set their parents up for success of, okay, so they have difficulty with regulation. Yeah, that can translate into some scary things when they're older. Mm -hmm. Let's figure out how to take care of that now. Yeah. So that it's yeah. easy for all of you later. And so that these kids really have the hope of the best life that they can live. Yeah. When you say that, this sort of this dynamic of hope for the best life that you can live, how much of your, of what is most important about what you're doing is actually in the job description? And how much of this is <laughs> stuff that like you get there and you find out about these issues, for example, safety issues and things like that. <laughs> so what, how much of what you do is, would you say, this is actually what I'm here to do and how much of it, of what is important about this is actually not in your job description whatsoever? A lot of it's not in the job description because <laughs> my job yeah. description is, you know, helping kids use a spoon, helping kids yeah. stack blocks and color, do the pre-writing skills. Uh, which can seem really simple on paper. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, a lot of it is not in the job description. And as well as, I mean, filling out paperwork to get on Medicaid yeah. waivers to figure out how to afford all of this equipment that right. you need. Um, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Did, I didn't know I was gonna get into a lot of it, but I think a lot of the things outside of the job description are, are exactly what makes it meaningful. Yeah, you know, I don't, no, I uh, I have often lectured in the the uh, OT professionals class or whatever I forget what that mm -hmm. that class is. But one of the things that I tell occupational therapists every year is when you put on this uniform and you're in front of people, um, you're getting an you're you're an identity that people are going to invest all kinds of trust in, right? So it's not just about occupational therapy, but because you're coming into their home as a, as a sort of expert, there's all kinds of, of uh, trust and um, uh, that's being invested in you. And a lot of it might be things that you didn't sign up for, uh, you know, but, um, but oftentimes those are the things that you may have an, an opportunity to intervene in ways that, that other people simply would never have access to, right? Would not know that those things are going on. 
Mm-hmm. So that's really cool. And I, I think it's, it's a good illustration of how, and, and I think most jobs are like this, that the thing that makes it most meaningful isn't really the job description. There's something else that really uh, is the reason that that gives us life and is, is meaningful. So you used some language earlier. I would love to hear um, how it comes out in, in your everyday work. You use the language of image bearers mm. with regard to, I think it was you when you were talking about your mission trip experiences. How does this, does that theological concept um, interact with the kind of work that you're doing with persons with disabilities? I mean, I firmly believe that all creation, there is the image of God. And I think that's what helps me take joy in my work because when a child can be really frustrating as toddlers can be, um, I look at them and hear their giggle, see what they delight in, see their desire for love and you see how, you know, the rest of the world can delight in them. You know, it can be mm. just the simple things and the simple, um, just the little successes. So I love it when parents realize like, oh my gosh, they did this. They used a spoon. Mm. This is so exciting. Oh, yeah. And yeah. we celebrate God for that. that yeah. You know, he created these bodies to do these different things. And I celebrate God even with my children with autism who just think differently and play mm-hmm. differently. Um, but when I can see them playing and enjoying life, that's so rewarding to me. Yeah, yeah. I think one of the things that would be meaningful about your work to me as I think about it is the fact that you can so easily sometimes easily see progress. I'm sure there are other times when the progress is very slow, but, but when, you know, something like learning how to use a spoon, I'm sure is devastating for a parent. Um, And, and when that finally comes to pass, it's this tangible thing that, that really could change, for example, the way that they're eating or whatever. Um, So I think that would be incredibly meaningful. So sometimes I, I think it's, uh, really cool to think in terms of sort of like one-liners to summary if you could say like what is what is the thing that you do as an occupational therapist is there a way you could sum it up in you know a sentence or a couple sentences that's this is really what my my job is about Hmm. i think i'm gonna go with the uh aota phrase probably if I have to think about it um, is I enable children and families to live life to the fullest. Hmm. So my job is just to give these families the tools that they need to live everyday life and achieve the things that these kids need to do that they want to do and that they're expected to do. Very cool. Very cool. Well, Michaela, I will say just as a, on a kind of personal note, it's uh, folks like you who make me hopeful every day. Uh, I have loved being able to see the way that you have um, 
I mean, I've got, I'm, I think I met you when you're 18, maybe younger than that. I don't remember, but, but to be able to see you, uh, you know, come into adulthood, but now to be able to make this massive contribution into the lives of others and, um, to be able to see the way that you are uh, reflecting the kingdom of God, the mission of God um, in your everyday work. And I know we didn't even, we haven't really even talked that much about your engagement at church and the way that you're involved in the youth ministry at the church and, and the way that you and your husband uh, serve there, which I know is, is absolutely a huge part of your life too. Um, but, uh, but even just um, the ways that your work has, uh, been a place that you're living out your faith um, on a day-to-day basis is really encouraging to to me and uh, to be able to see that. So, um, final note: if you're if there are folks out there who, because uh, I think one of the, my hope is that um, folks who are in the discipline of occupational therapy. Uh, and or maybe those who are discerning and considering it um, will be one of the audiences for your video in particular for your interview. If you were to say kind of parting words to those who are considering this profession, considering this work, what would you want to say to them? It has such a wide variety. You can find your niche because mm. I remember going through grad school thinking, I don't want to do this. What was I thinking? because I was learning about all of these different things. And then I remember finally, I was like, oh, maybe my niche is going to be hands. Like I really love the intricacy of hand therapy. And then I did the clinic thing and it was okay. But I remember graduating and just being like, I don't even know what kind of job <laughs> I want to apply for because I don't want to do any of this. Mm-hmm. And it took me, <laughs> you know, praying on my knees on the living room floor saying, God, I don't know for him to put this little seedling of like, why did you get in this for the first place? And yeah. thinking about that little girl, it's like, okay, well maybe this is what I'm supposed to do. And it's yeah. amazing to look back now and say, God was faithful in all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I think one of the things that was appealing to me about occupational therapy is that you do not have to commit to doing the same thing for the rest of your life. Yeah. It's occupational therapy is almost even more of a philosophy than anything else. And you can choose what you're passionate about and go for it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's super, I think, important for certain personality types, pastoral ministries like that too, where, you know, pastoral ministry and there are so many things that are a part of what we do and, uh, it allows us to kind of go in lots of different tra- trajectories. If there's some passion that rises up in you, then you get to take and, and to do that and to be that for a while. And I think there are some careers and OT is certainly one of them. Social work is another where you, you kind of get to make it the way that, that makes sense for you in your life right now. Um, and your passions right now. So that's really a powerful uh, dynamic. Well, thank you, Michaela. I really appreciate you uh, coming on and sharing a bit of your story and um, certainly a joy for me personally to be able to, to connect with you again about the good work that you're doing. All right. Thank you. Thank I you. Appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. 
I believe that stories like this one are incredibly helpful in figuring out where God is leading you in your life. Sometimes when you're in the middle of the story, it's really difficult to know where God is speaking and where God is moving in your life to lead you. As we look back on these lives of these professionals, then we learn a little bit about how God is moving in their life, and I believe it'll make it easier for you to know how God is moving in your life. If you like stories like this one, subscribe to this channel and check out the description for links to other stories uh, that are like it. And I hope that you'll come back again soon. Are you ready?